All right, guys, you're here with Josh Thompson. We're doing uh, Punk's Opinion today. It's on Sunday, the day after uh, UFC 240. We're going to do a quick little breakdown real quick, and we'll talk about some other things as well. I mean, we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> um, I guess realistically, like, uh, the biggest thing to talk about today is on the UFC 240 card is, um, <clears throat> to me, there's two. There's the two of the biggest things to talk about. But to me, the biggest thing is obviously Frankie Edgar, which I'll get to in a little bit. But the second biggest thing to talk about is Felicia Spencer. Oh my God, she legitimized. Like she, she told and showed everybody that she's the real deal. She gave Cyborg a real fight. You could tell she started to slow down in the third round. And I'm not just here to like break down fights. I'm just simply saying like she is really good. She's better than the fact that even what she showed last night, she's better than that. I, Cyborg has the way of <clears throat> breaking people. She, sh I, I, I honestly like. There's a lot of times I don't agree with Joe Rogan's analysis when they're doing the commentary, and um, there's times where I do really agree with him. Last night, I gotta say like her stock rose, and I have to agree with Joe 100. percent there was a lot of things that she did really well that kept Cyborg guessing. The fact that she was able to press Cyborg against the fence, do some work against the fence, do a lot of good things against the fence. She was she was nasty. Like she, I know she didn't land the the harder like uh, shots, but she did some good stuff. I was very impressed with her. People were writing her. I was one of them, and I'm being uh, very upfront. I wrote her off from the moment this fight was announced. I was like. This girl has no chance. And sure, maybe the scorecards didn't reflect it, but the fight was a lot closer than people gave her credit for. I believe the card was 30-27, 30-27, I had, I believe I had her winning one round. Um, and <clears throat> I can't remember which round it was. But um, I thought it came down to the third round. I thought it came down to the fact that if she would have won the third round, I think the fight would have been, been a great fight. And it, it was a really good fight. <clears throat> um... But the, the next question, though, is that where does that leave Chris Cyborg? And I, I don't want to jump off Felicia, uh, Felicia Spencer too fast. She's talented. She's young. She's a legitimate 145-pounder. I would like to see her fight some other legitimate 145-pounders. Um, she fought Megan Anderson. She had a great win over her. Um, I, I, I honestly believe that this is her weight class to win. If Cyborg leaves... This weight class, and she leaves, and let's just say she goes to PFL, and she or she goes to uh, Bellator, or wherever she decides if she potentially leaves and goes somewhere else. This puts Felicia Spencer in the driver's seat. I think it puts her in the driver's seat. Don't get me wrong. I don't think she's going to beat Amanda Nunes. I'm not saying that. I, I, but I think she poses a threat to every other girl that's in that weight class. Now, I don't think that Amanda Nunes is going to defend both titles for very long. She's going to she's going to eventually just pick a weight class and probably try to do that. Um, although right now is a good time to do both weight classes because the talent it's not a talent rich pool on either weight class. 135 and 145 are not talent rich. So she can actually potentially do both for a long time. But I think Felicia Spencer has a good chance and a good opportunity to make sure that she stays relevant and make sure that she's at the top of the food chain at the 145 pound division. I don't know if she can make 35. I I wouldn't even want to speculate on that. Um, but I, I think she I think she showed a lot last night. 
a lot more than people thought she was going to, including me. I was very impressed with her. Very impressed with her. Um, <clears throat> to go back on to talk about Chris Cyborg now, where does that leave her? Let I mean, like, let's just let's just take the let's just take the the, the straight up conversation piece. Now, look, most people will talk trash about Dana White for a bunch of different reasons. I find my own self talking trash about Dana White for any reason I can think of. Okay. Um, look, and I, and I don't have a problem with like uh, talking trash about Dana and, and I don't mind Dana either. I know Dana is Dana because Dana is like to me, every other promoter that we've ever crossed paths with. Okay. Uh, the only promoter I've ever had any kind of good relationship with, and I've always felt it's been true to their word and they're pretty upfront is Scott Coker. Now, obviously everyone's going to say, Oh, because you're biased because you work for Bellator. No, because I had dealings with him when I was an actual real fighter during strike force. Now my relationship with Dana is completely separate and, and, and different from what I'm about to talk about with the whole Dana White issue right now. Not issue. The Dana White comments saying that, yeah, she may eventually, she don't want to fight in the UFC anymore. She wants to go somewhere else for easier fights. Look, outside of Amanda Nunes, there's no other hard fights for her in the UFC. Like, Holly Holm may be the next hardest fight. Um, who just beat Holly Holm? There was a girl that just beat Holly Holm. Yeah. That girl... Maybe another hard fight. You know, like there's there's no hard fights. There's tru truly no hard fights for her uh, in the UFC Nunes. either. Who? It was Nunes. Oh, Amanda. No, uh, no. Holly Holm just fought recently. She just lost. Yeah, it was Nunes. That was July 6th. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, okay. So, so the Amanda Nunes fight just happened, and she lost to her. And um, yeah, I mean, like outside of Amanda Nunes, there's no other hard fights for Chris Cyborg. Just like for Amanda Nunes, there's no other hard fights for her outside of Chris Cyborg. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say this. I think that <clears throat> every good fighter needs a nemesis. <clears throat> DC has John Jones. I had Gilbert Melendez. You know, guys have certain guys or girls have certain girls that they just play their nemesis. <clears throat> and if you don't capitalize on fighting those people as many times as you possibly can then you're missing the boat man you're missing you're you're missing your opportunity to create the muhammad ali and joe frazier feel of all of this like you're missing that you know and that's the hardest part that's like i think in this situation that with chris she needs to she needs to step up either sign that contract or bounce to to another organization and I, look, I think she's got a very willing and able opponent in uh, Julia Budd over in Bellator. As far as PFL, I don't think there's a girl over there in that organization that's going to touch her. You know, there's not a girl over there that I think could even bother her or touch her or like it's going to give her a hard time. You know what I mean? Like there, it's not. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. I now on top of that. But here's the thing: the fact that I said that. Me like the fact that I said that it just opens the door for the fact that <clears throat> she has the opportunity to win a million dollars pretty easily every time she fights in that tournament. And I don't. I'm how old is she? Thirty. How old's Chris Cyborg? Thirty six. Thirty seven. Thirty four. Thirty four. Okay, so she's thirty four years old, and she has the opportunity to win a million dollars basically every year until she turns thirty seven, thirty eight years old. None of those girls in that promotion are going to beat her. They won't even sniff um, a W against her. So I, I don't I don't know any of those girls are gonna be able to beat her. 
And so she could go to PFL and sure, fight easier fights and make a million dollars. And I'm not going to knock her for that because in three years, she'll be worth three or $4 million. And everyone's going to be sitting back going, yeah, we don't care about her anymore. Who cares? But she's sitting at, the, she's sitting at home in her probably like $2 million house going, yeah, I don't care what you guys think. And she's laughing all the way to the bank. And I'll tap, I'll, I'll actually clap my hands and, you know, and give her a lot of credit for doing what she did. Because it's hard to walk away. I got to tell you, I, freak, I speak from experience. It's hard to walk away from the promotion that everyone considers to be the best promotion in the world, which is the UFC. And it's hard. It's it's. You stake claims on everything that that Dana White says, and not just not just the media, but then the fans and everyone. Like they all see it, especially now that it's on ESPN. <clears throat> they see all the comments that are made by Dana at the sport level, whereas before the comments were made and like randomly they would get put on ESPN because ESPN didn't give a, didn't give a shit about UFC until they got onto um <clears throat> until they got onto ESPN. You know, none of the guys ever talked about it. None of the none of the sports uh, shows ever talked about it. They didn't really give a crap. It was like Connor and uh, GSP <clears throat> and Ronda, and that was it. The three people, those outside of those three people, they didn't give a crap. <clears throat> now they're with the ESPN. They're now pushing it and promoting it and doing all these things, which I think is amazing. I think it's great. I think it's a good step in the right direction to le- like further legitimize the sport of MMA. Um. But my overall comment is like my overall analysis of this thing is that people with cyborg, she, I think she needs to go where the money is. She needs to go wherever the, wherever they will pay her the most and wherever the least amount of damage is to her body. Um, at 34 years old, she needs, she needs, she needs to make as much money as she possibly can. Let's be real. Let's be a hundred percent realistic about this whole scenario. Women MMA, women's MMA does not make anywhere near the men's MMA. Now, sure, Ronda made a ton of money. Misha Tate made good money because she became champion. Holly Holmes probably making some good money. But the rest of these girls are not making anything. Okay? And Cyborg, I don't think, sure, she's making probably decent money, but she's not making a killing, you guys. Like, you don't see her probably buying a home in Silicon Valley, like where I live. She's probably having a hard time buying a home there or anywhere in Orange County, Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach, uh, Newport Beach. She's probably not able to really buy a home there either. You know, so women's MMA, sure, it's hit that next echelon of the best fighters. I truly believe like this, the women's MMA right now is I feel like is in that Frank Shamrock kind of era where you have like Amanda Nunes who's pretty well-rounded, got heavy hands. Like Frank was like that one that took it kind of to the next level of, he wasn't really great on the feet, but he had great cardio. He had good, uh, decent stand-up, had good jujitsu, good submissions, good submission defense. A guy who could push the pace. He made fights entertain because he was like that next level of guys that just wasn't one-dimensional and uh, found ways to beat guys like Tito Ortiz and Jeremy Horn and, you know, and so on. I feel like that's kind of where women's MMA is right now. You know, um, the one-dimensional fighters are no longer existent. You have women that are now across the board very well-rounded, very good, Um, you know, that are become that they are just finally getting into their own of like who they are and and what they can contribute to the sport. Now don't get me wrong, like everyone that came before them, they just paved the way. No different than like Hoist Gracie, uh, Marco Huas, 
good kicks, good jiu-jitsu guy, you know, Maurice Smith. You know, you have all these guys that came up before that, you know, Hanzo Gracie. Like, you can't go through the sport without mentioning these people. But you can also do the same thing for women's MMA. I can't go through women's MMA without mentioning, of course, first and foremost, Gina Carano, who paved the way for everything, you know, and now making her way into the movie industry. And that was all done because of Scott Coker. And you have Chris Cyborg and that whole thing uh, with her beating Gina Carano and moving on to the next chapter and moving into the UFC and everything else that came along. But you have Misha Tate, Marlos Kunin. Uh, you've got the top girls, uh, Sarah Kaufman. All of these girls, Julia, but they all kind of paved the way. Alexis Davis, they're the girls that paved the way for these females to be on this pedestal and this, this uh, get, get, get into the limelight. And I, I feel like it all rotates back to Scott Coker, who, who kind of gave them a platform to fight at the highest level on Showtime TV, on CBS, on things like that. And... Let's not all forget that Dana White said women will never fight in the UFC, and then shortly after they bought the they bought Strike Force, and you had this, the rising star of, you know, uh, Ronda Rousey and <clears throat> Misha Tate growing even further beyond that. So, um, my my whole thing is Dana's doing what Dana does, <clears throat> not just Dana, but Dana's doing what almost every promoter does, and they are laying the groundwork previously and foremost uh, in the beginning to let everybody know. Um, that, that, um, <clears throat> that like, no, like that, the, that the, the fighter is leaving because there's easier stuff out there to have. And if she wanted to really prove that she was a real fighter, that she would stay with the organization. Now we all know that's a bunch of bullshit because there's no other person that I've ever met probably in my whole life that is more of a fighter than Chris Cyborg. And I'm going to be very upfront and very honest. I've never really been a huge fan of Chris Cyborg. I like her as a person. I've met her, talked to her, trained with her, done commercials with her. She is absolutely a doll and an amazing person. Like outside of her fucking nastiness to fuck chicks up. She is really a great, great person. If you talk to her, she's extremely nice. She's extremely genuine. She's an absolute uh, great person to be around. And, um, so when, when Dana says like, oh yeah, she's trying to, you know, but she doesn't want to be in the UFC anymore. She wants to leave other places to fight easier fights. You guys have to take that with a grain of salt. He's doing what every promoter does. I'm not knocking him. I'm simply saying he's making sure that everyone understands that when he, when she leaves that it's because she wanted easier fights, but I'm sorry, but he's, she's already smashed pretty much everyone in that whole uh, organization outside of Amanda Nunes. Now, I would love to see that fight happen again. <clears throat> I think when Dana says, I would offer a one-fight deal for her to fight so-and-so, you know, Amanda Nunes, and if she became champion, obviously there's uh, stipulations and things like that that go along with you becoming the champion, extend your fights for three more fights. You're stuck basically fighting for them until you eventually lose the title. And that's that's part of their contracts, which BJ Penn is the reason why they have that whole ordeal in place because after he beat Matt Hughes, he left and started his own organization called Rumble on the Rock, flew in Takanori Gomi, beat Takanori Gomi on his own uh, promotion, ended up fighting uh, Henzo Gracie, beat him, ended up fighting Rodrigo Gracie, beat him, and both all three of those people he beat in his own organization and then eventually sold that organization to Elite XC, which then turned around and basically uh, folded on Showtime TV and then Strikeforce took over pretty much 
almost all of their um, their athletes. So if you want to talk about who helped build um, Strike Force, I, I would say the beginning portion of it was probably BJ Penn because indirectly he did it without really realizing what he was doing. <clears throat> and he did it as a big F you to the UFC and Dana White for not offering or giving him the amount of money that he deserved when he first beat um, Matt Hughes. So my overall thing is like with um, Chris Cyborg, she has all the bargaining power now to do what she wants to do. I think she should leave for wherever the most money is. That's my take on what she should do. She should go wherever the most money is for her. So if she can make a million dollars a year fighting PFL, have at it, girl. Do your thing. 34 years old. No one's doubting whether you're fucking really fucking good. No one's doubting that. No one should ever doubt that. You are a gamer. Scroll down to the last time she lost a fight. No, uh, Cyborg, the one you're on now. So she lost her last fight. First pro fight. In, so her very first pro fight in 2005. Is that five or six? That's five. That's 2005. May of 17th of 2005. Scroll up. Scroll up. Then she lost to Amanda Nunez in 2019? 18. 2018. December 29th in 2018 was the last time. She, so from 2005 to 2019 is the last time she lost a fight. That's fucking insane. So I don't think anyone's going to ever discredit the last time she's ever lost a fight. The last time, like, no one's going to discredit the fact that she's a true warrior. She's been through it all. She's tough as nails. If she wants to leave to any other organization and make double the money, I tip my hat to her. I'm like, it's hard. It's hard. It's already hard enough <clears throat> because it's hard for a fighter to leave an organization that everyone considers to be the best organization in the world and go somewhere else for more money. I wish people would start looking at these promotions as if it was a different team. And every fighter is going to leave every fighter. Also, basketball players, football players, they leave every team knowing that maybe the team's not as good or maybe the team is better and a chance to win a title, but all they care about is the fact that they're making a, they're going to make more money. Why is it not that way? That I just have that. I have a quick, if you guys have answers for that, please leave comments in the comment section. Let's talk about it. Why don't these fighters leave for more money? Why is it not okay for them to leave to go and better their lives beyond that? <clears throat> I'm only going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this because obviously another reason why I speak from experience, I made a shit ton of money fighting in strike force, way more than the fighters that were fighting the UFC were making. And everyone's like, Hey, how come you're on the UFC? Why don't you? Because I'm making way more money. You know how many times my contract was up with strike force and I could have left and went to the UFC. UFC had plenty of times where they could have offered me money, but I just always made sure that I signed. I re-signed before my last fight was done. I was getting paid double what some, almost all of their fighters were making. And on top of it, I was at the most, some of the times I wasn't even the champion. I was the number one contender, always like right behind Gil. And that's what sucked. Even when I was the champion with them, I had opportunities to resign. And it was like the money was so much better. I became champion in 2000, I want to say 2008, 2009, 2008. And after I beat Gil for the title, I actually saw what Sean Shirk and um, Kenny Florian made. Versus what I made. And mine was contracted and paid. And like understand that I knew I was getting paid. This wasn't backyard, backroom bonuses. I got paid what I was negotiated and contracted to pay. And I want to say I made like, it was like maybe 80 or 90 grand. And that was more than what the two guys had made. 
they made like, I want to say they made 15 and 15 or 25 and 25, somewhere in there. I can't remember so long ago. Anyways, guys, but my, my point was, is that these guys, they should leave for other organizations that pay them more money. There's no reason for people to sit around and say, hey, I made this, you know, I fought this guy. I fought, you fought the best guys in the world. Don't get me wrong. I think UFC has some of the best guys in the world, but it doesn't do anything for you after life, after fighting. And these guys need to step up. And I feel like Chris Cyborg is in that position right now at 34 years old where she needs to fight. She needs to make the most amount of money she can because it's only going to last about another two, maybe three years. And then she's going to be done. Three more years and she'll be done. You know, and that's the thing because these younger girls are coming up. We saw it last night with um, Felicia Spencer. Spencer. Felicia Spencer. We saw it last night with Felicia Spencer. And we're going to see it. It's going to get even stronger. These girls are going to start getting even stronger uh, moving on. And that's the thing is like the young, the younger um, group of girls are going to come up and you're going to see it more often. And Felicia Spencer, I think last night solidified herself in that number three, number four category in that 145 pound division. I mean, you've got other girls that are there. But I, I don't I don't think that any of those other girls are gonna be able to do anything. <clears throat> they didn't even have what's the one thirty what's uh is that one forty five? That's thirty five. Yeah, that's thirty five, which is where she's at right now, right? So Jermaine Deronomy is one forty five? Uh she's forty five and thirty five. Oh there you they don't have they didn't even have a list below her. So for me, I feel like Felicia Spencer is like in that number two, number three, number four category. She showed a lot last night. Like I said, I I, I didn't I didn't think that she was going to even be close. I I tip my hat off to her. She fought a great fight. I thought it was. A, I actually thought there was moments there for her to win that fight, especially going into the third round. And the judges didn't see that way, but it was thirty twenty seven. I think across the board. But I I had her winning. I think the second round. Uh, one of the rounds I had her winning, uh, but it was I thought it came out down to the third round for her to to um, to win that fight. She just came up short, man. But that she's young, she's got a lot of growth and experience to like to to gather and move into you know more fights. I think it's a huge learning curve for her. I think it's no different than say someone like Canelo Alvarez losing to Mayweather at a young age. I want to say he was like twenty years old when he lost to him. I think it's a great great chance for her to grow as a fighter and. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, get those wings underneath her and, and see what, what moves on for her moving on. Now, as far as Chris Cyborg, I think she needs to go where the most money is. Um, outside of that, I mean, we can move on to Frankie Edgar. <clears throat> My heart broke, man. Like, it wouldn't even matter. Um, I'm a huge Frankie Edgar fan. I don't know if I'm going to give you guys a little inside scoop on him. You know, he came out to AK one time <clears throat> uh, a long time ago, his first time out. Trained about two weeks. He trained with us. Then right before he left, him and I became really good friends. The next time he came out, I told him, I said, hey, dude, don't spend your money on a hotel. Don't spend your money. Like, you come out and you uh, stay at my house. And he was like, are you sure? Like, no big deal. Like, are you sure this is okay? And I was like, yeah. Next time he came out, <clears throat> him and um, him and his buddy stayed at my house. And, uh, man, we had a blast, dude. We had so much fun. These guys, they were great guys. And ever since then, we've had a, a wonderful relationship, and it breaks my heart, man. It's hard. It's hard. I think um, <clears throat> it's there's a lot of reasons why it's hard. It's hard because you're close with the guy. It's hard because 
You know, I know how much he trains. I know how hard he trains. I know that. Look, it, we're watching. I'm watching a couple highlights here, and I can see some of the highlights. And some of the highlights, he walks up to Max's son after the fight and like tips his hat to him and like kind of like rubs his head and just says, you know, hey, says something nice to him, obviously, because you know uh, Max's son smiled as he walked away. It's hard, man. It's never easy. It's never any of the things that you think it's gonna be. Um, it's hard to see your boys lose. Uh, we've had Frankie on here before, and uh, Frankie was one of the first guys that we had on. And uh, man, he's he's just a class act. No matter what he does, he's a class act. Like people give Jersey people a hard time, right? But I think when you talk to Jersey, when you talk to Frankie, and you get to know how. Like these, these are real. These are real people, and you understand. This isn't Jersey Shore. This is this is real life. You see his son walk in and like you know put his hand on him. His son's upset. His son's emotionally upset. Um, Frankie's upset. I think I think you know it's a tough go. He tried to do something that everyone's trying to do right now, and people are trying to win two uh, two belts in two different weight classes. <clears throat> it's hard, man. I think it's it's really hard. Uh, there's tons of things that I want to say I just don't want to um I don't want to say you know I had a chance to chat with him and talk with him and you know there's tons of things that I think go through fighters minds after this you know uh Joe Joe brought up a good point and once again like Joe and I like when when I hear Joe on the commentary and I hear Joe on some other things uh I don't always agree with him but in this in this <clears throat> in this thing where he asked him, hey, you know, you're obviously very small compared to like Max Holloway. And to think he was the 155 pound champ where he beat BJ Penn, he beat a bunch of, he beat a couple other guys. Like, <clears throat> it's, you start thinking in terms of like, yeah, he, 100% he can make 135. He's not a big guy. But, and I agree with, like how Joe approached the question and asking him like, Hey, there's been talk that you're, you're small for the weight. Frankie obviously knew that Max, he, he brought up that Max was a lot bigger than he anticipated or just physically strong. And just, he's talented. Obviously everyone knows Max is extremely talented. Max is a fucking animal, you know? And, um, <clears throat> it didn't go the way that he wanted to, but when you look back at the fight, so for me, I had Frankie winning round one. I had him, Potentially winning round three. For me, round three was the toss. Um, but I had him winning round one. <clears throat> and round three was a toss. I had him losing two and I had him losing four and five. It just it's hard. It's hard for for a guy who's not that long, now at 37 years old, a lot the speed's starting to slow down. I saw it a little bit last night. I've been there. I've been through the same scenario and same situation he's doing. He's going through right now has nothing to do with the fact that he doesn't want it. He's he's that guy that every time he comes in the gym, he just gives not even one hundred ten percent. I can't I can't even say the percentage because it's like beyond two three hundred percent. He gives everything he's got every round, every moment, every second, and he's he's just a straight up animal. And I thought if he was able to get if he was able to get Max down, I was thinking for sure that he would be able to do some good work on top. Elbows, ground and pound, somewhere around there. <clears throat> I know Max is good at getting up. I know Max is good at defending the takedown. I just had Frankie, because I've trained with Frankie, you know, several, several times. Um, 
you know, flew out, trained with him for uh, the Benson Henderson fights. He trained with us here at AKA for, um, uh, like, I want to say his last, scroll all the way down to when he first started fighting the UFC. I want to say his first three fights in the UFC. So when he fought Mark uh, Mark Bocek, Spencer Fisher, uh, he trained with us. I, he wasn't. I don't think he was with us for Tyson Griffin. So he trained with us for Mark Bocek and Spencer Fisher. Those are the two fights he trained with us for, you know. And I remember him being on top. And I'm like, man, this guy is really good. Good ground and pound. Like one of those cat-like reflexes. You kick him back, and he lands on his. He lands in a bear crawl position and comes back with big ground and pound. Like he just always had the. That's why they call him the answer. He always had the answer for everything you try to do to him, and um. You know, he just he just found a way to keep getting wins and keep getting a win and keep getting wins. And um, outside of just being a, a terrific person, um, obviously just an amazing fighter, extreme, extremely great conditioning. Um, he's a great husband, great father. Like you can see his kids obviously love him dearly going in the cage and talking, you know, like, you know, basically breaking down because, you know, their dad lost. Uh, he's, I talked to him though, you know, uh, I want to say right after the weigh-ins on Friday, I talked to him and I, we just, we're just shooting the shit, man. Just a good guy back and forth on text and, you know, never a dull moment, man, a great guy all the way around. And I'll never have anything ever to say, uh, bad to say about him. He's just one of those guys. Like every time I'm in Jersey, you know, visiting family and stuff, you know, I reach out to him and he always makes time. doesn't matter what it is. Like, Hey, come over to the house or Hey, let's meet for lunch. Like, He's one of those guys. Like, there's never a dull moment with him, but there's also there's uh, a lot of, a lot of a lot of truth to who he is as a person. Every time you 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 get around him, and his his uh, personality is contagious, man. He's just one of those guys that just you know, um, it's it's contagious. Like, it makes you, if he's in a good mood, you're in a good mood, and he's always in a good mood. He's always one of those guys. Like, man, it's tough, but guess what? We're gonna get through this. We're gonna push through. He's got that. He's he's got that little bit of that jersey. He's got that jersey pride. In him. Not a little bit of it. He got a lot of that jersey pride in him. He just last night wasn't his night, man. It was uh, one of those fights. He just came up short. I think Max started getting stronger as the fight went on. Frank was having a hard time getting in there in the range. It was eating the jabs, and uh, you know the strength and physical size. It was definitely a factor. And I, Joe talked about him moving to thirty five. I get concerned about him moving to 35 for a couple reasons. Moving to 35, I've always said this, is that anytime you take a lightweight guy, you move him to 45. Anytime you take a, a featherweight, you move him to bantamweight. The issue is, is this. Speed kills, man. Frankie was good at lightweight because he was faster than everybody. He moved to 45. He wasn't faster than everybody anymore. When he goes to 35, he won't be faster than everybody down there either. So him fighting guys like Marlon uh, Marais, Marlon Marais, or fighting uh, Henry Cejudo, is not going to make him faster. It's going to be harder for him. Physically, maybe sure they'll be the same size, but Marais is fucking huge, you know. And that's the thing. Like, and Marais and him train together, so I think he knows like where he's at in that whole organism, like in that weight in that weight class. I think he knows that at 135 is probably a hard road too. I'm not saying he should go up to 55 either because those guys now are absolutely fucking enormous. And he had a hard time with Max Holloway who was at 145 who just lost to Dustin Poirier. So I think right now you're just, you're in that, you're in that, that zone of I'm 37 years old. I'm a former lightweight champion. I, I didn't get it done at 45. Like, I think 
right now, I think, is for him to go back to the drawing board. And he's in that position now to kind of pick and choose his fights. I think Dana has the utmost respect for him, understands exactly who Frankie Edgar is. At 37 years old, I mean, he, he you know he had some tough fights, man. The Gray Manor fights were fucking brutal on his body. Jose Aldo fights were brutal, like, to him, you know? But he had a lot of great fights against a lot of great guys, you know? Um, his Benson Henderson fights, sure, they were tough fights. I had him winning um, the second fight, hands down, I had him winning. I had a close fight, the first fight of him of with Ben. I had him, I had him still winning that fight, though, to be honest, in the first fight. Um, I had him winning the second fight, hands down. I had him winning, not a split decision. I had him winning unanimously. But um, that was just me. The, the Jose Aldo fights, he just the speed, the speed played a factor, and you saw that. With without his speed, as he gets older, it's going to be harder for him to get the things that he needs to get in, because. He's he's not he's not a long lanky guy, you know, and he's got to, he relies a lot on his takedowns and his mixing up of striking to the takedown, back up to the striking, and without speed, those things play a huge factor. And I don't know how many times I've said this. If there's an old saying that sticks around, it's because it's the fucking truth. When you say speed kills, it's because it's the truth. And that's why when people start talking to me, and I'm going to get into a different subject real quick, is when people start talking to me about like, oh, the guy at 205 or the heavyweight, he's the GOAT. No, he's not. He's not the GOAT. I, I, I don't know if I can, I, and I'm, maybe I'm being biased, but you guys can answer in the comment section. Maybe I'm being biased, but for me, I feel like 205 pounders, heavyweights, you can never be considered the GOAT because the, the lack of talent there is ridiculous compared to the, the 45 and the 55 and the 170 pounders the guys in those three weight classes those guys should always be considered in that top goat conversation i don't even know look up jose aldo dave jose aldo i can't even remember like the last time he fought like i remember he fought uh, volkanovsky but i'm saying like in terms of scroll down until when he fought conor McGregor. how long how many years was that until he lost so when people tell me Max Holloway is the greatest uh, featherweight in the world, I sometimes look and I'm like, he fought his, he had a loss against somebody in 2005. And then in 2006, he won. And he didn't lose a fight again until 2015. Till 2015. That's, a, that's a long time. 10 years he didn't lose a fight until 2015. And he fought a lot. And he fought a lot. And he, no, no, let me no, hold on, stop. Let me just go up this list. He fought Jonathan Brookins. He fought Rolando Perez. He fought Chris Mickle, Cub Swanson, um, Mike Brown, Uriah Faber, Manny Gamburian, uh, Mark Hominick, Kenny Florian, Chad Mendez, Frankie Edgar. Uh, I don't know. That's a zombie. Zo oh, Korean Zombie. He fought Ricardo Lamas, Chad Mendez. Beat all of them. Beat all of them. And that was his 10 years of no losses. You take a look at that bracket of guys, and those guys are nasty good. Kenny Florian, uh, Mark Hominick, Uriah Faber, Gambirian, Cub Swanson still fighting. Like, you have all these guys. Chad Mendez, Frankie Edgar. He beat all those guys. So when people talk to me about, like, who should be the best, the GOAT, I have no disrespect for guys like DC who I think are they're right there in that go conversation. 
But when you talk about the best guys in the world in the in, in combat sports, I don't look at it as heavyweight. I don't look at it as 205 pounders in boxing. Like people talked about Roy Jones. I don't think so, man. I don't think so. You can only consider the people that are like in that 170 pound, 165 weight class and below. That's it. I think because the competition is so great with those guys. It's it's enormous. Think about it. There's no easy fights in that list of guys that Jose Aldo fight. In the list of guys that Frankie Edgar fight. It fought. There's no easy guys. So when we're talking the GOAT conversation, look at look at this. Look at this list that he that Frankie Yeager fought. Scroll down more. Scroll down more. There's way more than that. Look, let's go. Graham, so he fought. Let's say we start off with Spencer Fisher. Spencer Fisher, he beat. Okay, back in the day, he beat Tyson Griffin, who was really good at the time. You know, he fought Tyson Griffin, fought Spencer Fisher, Gray Maynard, Hermes Franca, who I fought, but Hermes Franca, Sean Shirk, okay, um, Matt Veach, who was just, you know, okay, BJ Penn twice, two wins, Gray Maynard, which is a draw, nasty fight, by the way, Gray Maynard, which is a draw, then he fought Gray Maynard again, got the win, won the, you know, uh, secured his title, Fought Benson Henderson, lost, went back and fought Benson Henderson again, should have won. Okay, fought Jose Aldo, lost, had three losses in a row. Comes back, fights Charles Oliveira, who is now fucking phenomenal, was phenomenal then. Just Frankie's better than him that night. Fought BJ Penn again, beat him again. Comes Swanson, Uriah Faber, and Chad Mendes knocks him out, knocks out, knocks out Chad Mendes. Then he fights Jose Aldo. Then he fights, beats Jeremy Stevens. Yair Rodriguez just utterly dismantles, loses to Brian Ortega, who's on a, was on all time high at the time, plus way bigger than Frankie, obviously. Beats Cub Swanson, just dismantles him, and then fights Max Holloway right now. Tell me, you go to the heavyweight division, how many of those guys have fought guys like that? Who in the hell is has a list of guys of that level and they fought guys at that level? Tell me. I can't wait. I want you guys to list this in the comment section. So when guys start talking to me about the GOAT conversation, I have nothing but respect for guys like DC, John Jones, you know, um, Cain Velasquez, Steve Miocic. I, I have nothing but respect for those guys. Fedor Milenko, Derek Lewis. I love these guys. These guys, these guys are so fun to watch because of the knockouts, because of the things that they can do. But they haven't fought the guys. They haven't fought the guys that Frankie Eggers fought, that BJ Penn's fought, that Jose Aldo has fought. He has, they haven't fought these guys. They haven't fought that list of talent that these guys have fought. You know, um, they, they just haven't done it. And that's like Kenny Florence fought the who's who. Um, BJ Penn fought the who's who. He fought all weight classes. So when these guys are saying like, oh, yeah, I beat all these guys. and I'm a two-division champion. Yeah, but who did, like I know you beat the champions at the time and sure the guys are good. But it just it, it's not the I don't know. I just I feel like there's something there that's not the same. And these guys, these guys in the the 145, 155, 170 pound division, they're fighting the who's who every single time they step in the cage. John Jones, he's fighting tough guys. Don't get me wrong, he's fighting tough guys. Santos, I think, was the the greatest opportunity and chance for him to to lose his title. But and I have no disrespect to Anthony Smith, but Anthony Smith wasn't on John Jones level. Gus, the second time around, was not on John Jones level. The first time, Gus was there. DC was having a hard time with him, man. Tough, tough fight for DC. I had DC win in the second fight until he lost, until he got clipped and knocked out. 
Um, I never really had him like it was a close fight. I I didn't have it close at all. I had DC losing the first fight. It just wasn't there. Like he just couldn't get on the, the groove of things. You know, it was a tough fight for him. But that list of guys that you see John Jones fighting, they're not the same list of guys that you see um Fred Yeager fight, BJ Penn fight. Like, sure, there's some names in there. There is. But let's take a look at where they were in their career when they fought him. And they're just not they're not on the same level, man. Tiago Santos, um, that guy's nasty, dude. Like, I have nothing but respect for him. I can't wait to see him come back. So when people start talking about the GOAT conversation, I know I'm, I'm rambling a little bit right now and talking about it all, but the rambling in, the, uh, in this conversation is that I look at the guys from 145, 155, 170, and those guys, the top guys in the world should always be considered, I think, first and foremost over being the GOAT and, the, you know, considered in that greatest of all time conversation. And... um. And I think Frankie's right up there in, the, in that conversation. Maybe he doesn't have two titles, okay? But it's not easy to do what he's doing. I think it's actually harder, which we saw with T.J. Dillashaw. I think it's harder for these guys to go down in weight and to win than it is for them to go up in weight and to win. Because the guys, as you go up, get slower. Sure, they have more power. Sure, they have more knockout power. They got all these things. But the speed is what kills. Power can decapitate you also i'm not knocking the people that have power i'm not knocking those things as you go up what i'm saying though is that it's harder for guys like frankie at 37 years old to go to 135 pounds and try and um try and win a title there you gotta fight marlon rice you gotta fight um who else is at 135 you know you obviously you got henry cejudo you got marlon rice who else you got there peter yan is fucking nasty uh i think i think uh sun Tzu, uh, Al Surly. I, I think I think Frankie has a good chance against those guys. Peter Yan is nasty. Frankie's gonna have a hard time getting him down. He's got good like takedown defense. Got good boxing. But I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, count Frankie out on that fight either. You know. So you have a good group of guys that one thirty five pound division. I would love to see him and Dominic Cruz fight. There's no there's no doubt in my mind. I would love to see that fight. Him even him and Cody Garbrandt. I like to see that fight. Uh, Jimmy Oliveira, uh, R- uh, Rivera, sorry, I'd like to see that fight as well. Um, but the two fights I would love to see the most would be Frankie and Dominic Cruz and Frankie and Cody Garbrandt. The Peter Yan fight and the Asuncao fight kind of intrigued me a little bit. Aljamain Sterling kind of intrigues me a little bit. Um, I don't think he'd fight uh, Marais because they're the same team, same coaches, all that stuff. So I don't think that would happen. But overall, I mean, like, you put Frankie right in that conversation of, it's not GOAT conversation, but it's at the top. It's in the top conversation of the best guys to ever be in this, involved in the sport of MMA. Um, he's definitely a first uh, first ballot Hall of Famer when it comes down to, <clears throat> you know, who should be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Uh, whether the UFC Hall of Fame or any type of MMA Hall of Fame, he should be in it. 100% he should be in it. So that's just my take and my take on uh, last night's fights and... You know, as far as the other fights go, I thought the uh, Jeff Neal fight and the Nico Price fight was a good fight. Um, the one takeaway from that is that sometimes when your corner is telling you to pass guard, just stay in the guard and just start ground and pounding guys out because you're landing some clean shots. Uh, I, I was extremely baffled by the fact that his corner was telling him to pass guard when he was landing the cleanest shots he could possibly land inside the guard. Uh, Nico Price is a tough son of a bitch. 
and was very entertaining to watch. I, I think I'm gonna start doing a show where we talk about certain fighters that remind me of like past fighters. And Nico Price reminds me a lot of, of Ivan Salivary. Just kind of a weird style of like stand-up slash jujitsu slash like grappling game kind of thing. It just kind of completely reminded me of him when he was um maybe even like the way like his you know, his body is, like his fig how his physique is, I think is kind of what threw me off also. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Ivan Salivary, and I haven't heard that name in so long, but for some reason that just kind of crossed my mind when I was watching the two of them fight last night, and fuck, man. Uh, Jeff Neal, nasty, 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 nasty. So good fight, though, exciting, and uh, that was a good fight. <clears throat> uh, scroll down to the, scroll down to the prelims, I think, the prelims. Yep. Uh, uh, that's, that's next week's card, buddy. Uh, hey, stay with me here. Okay. <laughs> Prelims. The other fight that was really good. Scroll back up. So there was two fights. Um, that one there. The um, Hakeem. Dawadu. Dawadu. That was a great fight. I had um, the Japanese guy was winning pretty well. Doing a good job. Just eventually Dawadu just came through. Landed some clean shots with a big, huge head kick. Able to, yeah, it was it was good, man. He was very patient. The problem with that, the problem with guys that fight like that, right? He took him a while to figure him out. Once he did figure him out, he was, land, he was able to land the head kick. But the rounds just tick away in a three-round fight. And so had um, the Japanese guy been able to continue to do what he was doing, um, it, you know, it ends up kind of playing against you. And so, but I really was, I, was, I really liked how Dawadu was patient, waited for the fight to come to him, develop. Um, you know, he could have tried to try to land a little bit more in the first round. He finally was able to get him figured out, was able to land some good shots. Um, outside of that, what else what was it? Uh, the Gavin Tucker and uh, Song World. That was a good fight as well. Great fight, great fight as well. The other fight that I liked was this one here. The, uh, what's it called? How do you say? Alexander Pen Pantoja. Yeah, Pantoja and then the uh, Figueredo. Yep. That was a great fight. I mean, Pantoja came out looking good in the first round, did some good stuff, started wilting a little bit in the second round. Uh, Figueredo just, he just had his number, man. Had the, it was faster than him, had a good ground and pound, had some, it was like basically had good positioning when he was in top position. The whole fight was, the whole fight was good, man. It was a really good fight. Um, Pantoja took some nasty shots, you know, it was just cut up everywhere. Um, overall, like overall, this is one of those cards that even though some of them went to the decision, even though some of them got some finishes, it was one of those cards that was kind of like a sneaky good card. It wasn't great, but it was overall, I would say I'd give it probably like a, a seven or an eight on like if you're buying a pay-per-view for, for basically having like no name value on the card, I thought it actually delivered pretty well. And uh, just so everyone understands, like I'm not a full blown UFC hater. I thought it had. I, I would rate it probably like a seven or maybe an eight when it came down to the overall like content of the fight of the fights. I thought the card was actually pretty good. Um, the Felicia Spencer and Chris Cyborg fight really shocked me and, and threw me off. So like from the moment, and the same thing with the uh, Jeff Neal and Neil uh, Nico Price. That fight threw me off as well. So I just, I expected it. I, I, I wasn't expecting a whole lot from that fight. And it just delivered on on all ends. I mean, it was it was a great fight, man. I, I enjoyed watching that fight as well. 
do you think it wasn't stacked? Because it was weird to me that there wasn't more kind of known pay-per-view fights, you know? Do you think it like ties in with what you were saying a couple of weeks ago about um, fight cards like n either not existing or not being strong in July? Because just like, well, I'll pull up the uh, Robbie Lawler and uh, Colby Covington fight. That's next weekend. Yeah, that's, that's let's talk about it. Jeff, J Jim Miller, and Clay Guida is the co-main event. I wouldn't say like look outside of being a true fight fan like myself. That's a great name value fight, but you're not going to get the same guys you would have got five years ago. Okay. And we're just being honest. Um, you know, the the rest of the card, I'm looking at it right now. I wouldn't say it looks, you know, doesn't look like it's completely stacked. I mean, there's not, who's the prelims? Like, I don't even know who the, you have young up and coming guys that just, you know. You got Mickey Gall headlining the prelims. Um, Mickey Gall headlining the prelims. Yep. 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 Um, and otherwise, yeah. otherwise no. Otherwise, nothing. Otherwise, no one that you, like any name recognition you wouldn't, you would know. You wouldn't. Uh, yeah. No. You're, you're watching this fight for. Oh, it's on ESPN as well. It's not even on ESPN Plus. So it's on free TV. Oh, so this isn't a pay per view. No. Oh, this so then no, no. Then who cares? Yeah. I don't. Like yeah, then I don't care. Yeah, I mean. But I'm saying it's not even ESPN Plus, so you don't even have to pay five dollars for yeah. it. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I think it's a great fight. I think the Colby Covington and Robbie Lawler fight is enough for me to actually just tune in, period. Like 100%. Yeah, for sure. Like, I almost would have thought about buying the pay-per-view. Like, last night I bought the pay-per-view just strictly because Frankie and Max. Yeah, but you wouldn't. This wouldn't be pay-per-view if there wasn't a title in the line with it. Yeah, probably not. You know. But would you pay the $5 in ESPN Plus for it? Yep. I guess it's a bit, yeah. I, I bought the pay-per-view last night. Oh. How often do I buy pay-per-views? Yeah, <laughs> never. There you go. <laughs> I bought it strictly because Frankie's on the card and yeah. it was for the title. And I know where the money goes. Mm -hmm. So they're making their anyways, regardless, I think it was a. Uh, I think this fight coming up this weekend is gonna be a good fight too. So that's it. Who do you got between these <clears> two? <throat> I got Robbie. <laughs> you got shit on last time for saying uh, that. Yeah, it's okay. You guys can murder me in the in the you know, but I feel like the the layoff and the long time off and I think Robbie and Colby Covington understand each other pretty well. They used to be training partners. And I think that Robbie could um I think Robbie understands where this fight goes. If uh, if he beats this fight, if he wins this fight, that puts him right in that next that, that conversation of title talk. Just like he knew if he beat Ben Askren, that there was no he had basically frog jumps everybody else and becomes a, a title talk conversation. If he knocks out Colby Covington, it becomes pull up the one seventy pound division. It becomes Robbie Lawler and whoever's number two or three. So you got Mazadal, you've got uh. I don't even know who else you got there. You got Mazadal, basically. You got Mazadal, maybe with Leon Edwards. Yeah, you got Leon Edwards, Mazadal, Leon Edwards. Those are the only two guys you have. He knocks out Colby Covington. That puts him right in that conversation of George Mazadal and Leon Edwards. Now, I could see him fighting Leon Edwards. That would, to me, would be a great fight. A great fight. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight at all. To be honest, wouldn't mind seeing that fight at all. So. To the, see those two, huh? I was going to say, I think the week after, you got Diaz and Pettis at 170 as well, though. Yeah, 170, after. yep. Both of them decided not to cut weight. I think it's fucking amazing. I think it's great. No, it's way out, man. Where is that fight? Oh, no, wait. It's a... It's a, it's a no, it's on Stipe. Oh, yeah. It's oh, on yeah, the Stipe yeah. and DC August fight. August 17, okay. Yeah. Yep. Down at Anaheim. Good fight, though. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Saying, ESPN. Yeah. So, free TV. Even better. 
Fuck. Hey, see when you're um, see when you're covering the show live at Bellator and uh, you have to like talk talk about fighters that you don't really know and they've got weird names. How much do you practice? A lot. The, the pronunciation. <laughs> you you don't just pra- we practice it the whole week. <clears throat> we actually talk to the fighters and we talk to them directly to say like, how you pronounce your name yourself because like you can tell obviously I don't like pronouncing some of these guys' yeah, names. Yeah, tell. Hak Parasat, Parast, Parast, Hak Parast. Like I don't even know that guy's name. Nasrat. Basically the younger version of Kelvin Gastelum. He looks just like Kelvin Gastelum. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Extremely strange. But no, we do we do prepare a lot. And the other thing too is that what I do is I'm, when you're doing the research on the fighters, you um you listen to how the like all the old fights that they've had, how those announcers pronounce their name mm. because they probably have talked to the fighter. Yeah. So you repeat it to yourself a bunch of times. And then I have I have, to be honest, I have one of the best, uh, if not the best, um, in-cage announcers in MCW, Michael C. Williams, and he breaks everything down phonetically for me. Mm. So if there's a fighter that I don't know, like how to pronounce his name, or I'm having a hard time saying it, he'll break it down for me phonetically, and he'll put it on a piece of paper, and I'll just have it there <laughs> cage side. Wow. So I can uh, understand how to like, make sure. Well, you just got to make sure you're not fucking up these guys' names. Yeah. Now, there was a situation where I was in, uh, it's so funny, and I was just telling the story the other day. There was a situation where I was in um, in Birmingham, and I was calling cage side, and I was in the cage interviewing interviewing Pedro Cavallo, Cavallo after his fight, after he beat uh, Campos. So after he beats Campos, I'm in there doing the interview. Well, the whole show that we were doing in Birmingham was all highlights and clips about Rafael Lovato Jr. So while I'm doing the whole show, we're showing replay after replay of Gegar Musashi and Rafael Lovato Jr. Cause they're getting ready to fight in London, you know, in a month or so. So I'm interviewing Pedro Cavallo, Cavallo and Cavallo, whatever in in the cage after his win over Campos, over Derek Campos. And for a split second, my mind went blank. And you know what went through my mind was, is his name Rafael or is it Pedro? While you're in the cage? While I'm in the cage and I'm asking him, he's answering my last question. And in my mind, I'm like, fuck. Can I play it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, again and again. He kind of rambles on towards the end, though. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta work on the interviews. I gotta work on the interviews too. I'm not. Do you have somebody in your ear telling you? They don't tell you what questions to ask. They tell you to wrap up. Like walk. Okay, we're gonna walk through interviews, or we're gonna walk through highlights. They tell you. So take a look at the screen, walk through the highlights. These are all a puzzle that we all put together. And this is the work. One round job with yeah. one of the best in the world. It was a good fight, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen, get up your window, Pedro Cavallo. See how I mumbled it a little bit? Because I was like, oh, no. Was that the part you were talking about? Yeah. Oh, I thought bad. it was Rafael. I didn't say his name was. I didn't say his name wrong. I said his right name. But for a split second, I was... <laughs> I was kidding. literally... Like second guessing what was his name as I'm at the because all we had done was interviews for Rafael Cavallo or Rafael Lovato Jr. 
And I'm like, oh, man, please don't mess this up. Yeah, horrible, man, horrible. Sorry, it takes time. You know, oh, you know, no, it just it was just brutal, man. Like, I was up there. I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But Do you, do you ever watch um, – do you ever just, like, watch – Post fight interviews like Joe Rogan or Big yeah, John. I know I do. I watch I watch uh, Rogans, I watch DCs, but you got to remember though too, you're not them. Yeah, but just as far as like what to ask them and how to kind of no, control the every, pace. No, you don't you don't ask every fighter the same thing. I mean, close enough. No, right? you don't. Well, not you, really. You have like a serious like kind no. of like what did you think of you this have, part of the fight and then kind yeah, of like, but you also what's have to next be, for you. Yeah, but you also you see what next is such a common thing. Like you don't ask every fighter that because they're gonna give you like I want the best, I want the champion. No one gives. A shit. You only really want to ask that question to um to like the number one contender. If you know someone is like like ready for a title shot, what's next? What do you? What would you like to be next for you? I want the fucking title? I want whoever's ranked ahead of me. Like those are the guys you should be asking. Don't ask some guy who's like number twelve or thirteen on the fucking ranking. No one gives a fuck. What's next for you? Yeah, I want to fight the number four guy. Yeah, but what if he has no an incredible? What if he's like on his like third incredible knockout and it's like possibly like who would you like to fight? You would ask him like you know who would you like to fight? Like not it, what's next for you? I mean like, it's it's like something something like something that. Similar, I guess. Yeah. This is, it's kind of like always like a variation of like the same questions. I feel like hmm. you know, like walk us through this part of the fight. What was going through your mind here? Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. You're trying not to do that. You're trying to ask them like you know, hey, I saw you were. Saw you look like you were a little rocked in the second round. Came back with some big shots towards the end of the round. Let's walk you through the the big shots in the end of the round. Did you think that was enough to win you that round? Like, there's you got to remember though too. You have to you have to be on point with the people in the truck that is running the replays. You can't say like, yeah, in the second round, randomly. I have to actually tell them to to record those combinations in the second round while the fight's going live. Because then when I get up there in the cage, I can't say like, yeah, in the second round, you let in some big shots. They're not going to know what to pull up. Uh, so how does how did people like Joe do it when he's cage side? And then he's straight in the octagon right after? That's what I do. So what I'm saying is you, you tell them like, hey, I like that combination. I like that combination. So during the fight while it's live. And then when you, you get, you and then when you get in the cage, when you get in the cage, you ask them a question geared around that highlight. Do you have a, like a mute button so that you're not saying that over the broadcast? Yeah, yeah. You have a talkback button. Oh, the talkback okay. button goes right to the. That's to, funny because I noticed last night a few times when Joe was doing post fight, he was like, he's like, yeah, right here, this is this part, and then he's like, oh no, wait, that's not, that wasn't the, mm. that wasn't the clip or whatever, you know. Like, a couple of times last night he was like talking about replays, and he's like, oh no, wait, that wasn't the one. That was that. Yeah, yeah. You have to be on sync with the uh, with the people in the truck. That's 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 tough though. That's hard. Yeah, it's freaking hard. Because they have to pull up that highlight clip within seconds of you saying it. Yeah. That's not fair to them. And you know, so we minimize that as much as like I try to minimize that as much as possible. But you know, Joe's an absolute fucking animal when it comes down to like him being cage side. You know, and you can tell he's the guy that just does whatever the fuck he wants when he's yeah. cage side because he doesn't do anything that's outside of whatever he doesn't know. You know, like he's yeah. he's legit on everything he talks about. He knows what he's talking about. If he doesn't know what he's talking about, he doesn't bring it up. So, yeah. Um, I think we pretty much covered everything. Yeah, I was looking to see if there was any news, but there's nothing really that's um. There's a. Uh, we never got to hear from you about um, the boxer that passed last week. If you, if you, yeah, had any, any there's input. two of them. Two of them died. Oh, really? In the same week. Oh, really? Yep. One was 28. One was 23. 
Um, I don't know, man. There's a lot to talk about. Um, when it comes to and it has nothing to do with boxing; it just has to do with combat sports. That may be a good one for Big John. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think, I think, um, you know, Big John. I'll, maybe we'll probably cover that tomorrow. We'll cover that tomorrow, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. There's a lot I would like to say, and I, I think hearing maybe from a referee's point of view with Big John, that would be a great idea. And um, God, I was wondering why I always had Dave around. And this is the reason why. That was a good. That was a good suggestion. <laughs> um, I always make good suggestions. I don't know about that, um, but no. Overall, I think I think uh, you, you. I think people want to say like uh, they want to try to blame um, boxing, or they want to say blame the refs. They want to blame the coaches. They want this. This is the. This honestly, it's a sad day, but it's the sport that we're in, and um, I don't know, man. It's 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 uh, unfortunately it's part of I think it's now been part of what we do, <clears throat> and it sucks. But some of these guys, people don't realize how how much it means to um, these athletes to win. Like when they go in there, and when somebody goes in there and boos you because you're not being active, or because you know you quit on the stool, or you know, or the fight was stopped while you were on the stool, or whatever it is, man, it drives me absolutely crazy. Because every time they go in there, man, you have to understand those people are fighting for something. They're fighting for food on the table. They're fighting to feed their family. You know, they're fighting for something, man. Whatever it is, it could be small, it could be big, doesn't matter. But they're fighting for something, and it's uh, it's it saddens me to see um, two young guys, 28 and 23, uh, both die. Yeah, especially in the same week, man. It's just, um, uh, it doesn't matter if it was MMA, it doesn't matter if it was boxing. It could be fucking basketball for all I care. Um, no one wants to see anybody uh, at a young age like that die, and it's uh, it's sad. It truly is sad. And uh, I've seen the highlight. I've seen the clip, not the highlight clip, but I've seen the clip of uh, Max's um, coach. coach pleading with him, like, "Please let me stop the fight. Please let me stop the fight." Um, you gotta, you, no matter how much you want to say no, um, the, your coaches will tell you, like, "Do you want me to stop the fight?" Not please let me stop the fight. Let me do it. There's a difference, you know, between the two. And when Buddy McGirt's in there going, please, Max, let me stop the fight. That's because you have a man standing in front of you that loves you and cares for you and truly does not want you to get hurt. Versus when a coach sometimes, and I've been in this situation where, where the coach tells you like, hey, you know, like, do you want me to stop this? Or are you going to start fighting? And that was the conversation was like, do you want me to stop this fight? Cause you're not fighting to your potential. And I'm, I'm going to stop this fight because you, you're not doing anything. And so that's when you got to light a fight under your ass. That's your coach telling you to light a fight on your ass. Not like, Hey, please let me stop the fight. You're taking too many shots. Please let me stop the fight. That's, that's a passion that, um, coaches that great coaches have for their athletes. You know, and uh, it's it's sad. It's sad to see two young guys at 28 and 23 go uh, at such a young age from doing something they truly loved. But just I and people that walk the street, man, they'll never understand the passion and the uh, the love that I think fighters have for for combat sports, whether it's boxing, whether it's kickboxing, whether it's, you know, uh, MMA it doesn't make a difference. Um you know, and 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 just 
I, I always go back to like my own personal experiences, but I, I have to remind people that, um, you know, when I got into the sport back in 96, 97, you know, I started, I, my first fight was at the end of 97 and, um, I, you know, I paid 25 bucks to fight, you know, and then my second fight, you know, um, I got called on two days notice and went down to Boise and fought, uh, fought someone for $150, you know, um, you know, and then my third fight, I fought a two time all American from Boise state, uh, you know, and knocked him out in seven seconds from a head kick, but I only made 300 bucks on that fight, you know? So by my fourth fight, yeah. So 300 bucks. Like I, and I took both those fights on two and three day notices, like a week notice, like both of them. So like the, the sports come a long way, but I remember what these guys probably got into this, whether it's boxing, whether it's MMA, they got into this sport for the love of, of, for the love of combat. They loved to probably fight outside of the case or the, the ring or whatever it was. They had that in them to be a fighter, <clears throat> you know, and they've probably been through a lot in their life. Um, and then on top of that, all of that, um, you know, they just have no quit in them. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to go back to where they came from. I mean, everything, every fighter has their own reason for fighting. But, um, I think, you know, I would say a big majority of combat sports athletes, you know, um, came from either broken homes or they came from poor families. And they came by scraping by, they, you know, for me, like, uh, people don't realize, like, I, you know, I worked in the fields picking apricots, you know, and, uh, cut apricots and things like that, you know, with my family. So people don't realize those type of things. And so like, you just realize in your life as you're coming up that going to the gym three, four times a day was a lot easier than, you know, working in the fields and doing those things. So, um, it's it's sad it's sad because you can see the the desire in those guys in Max's eyes when he's when Buddy McGirt sit on the corner, uh, in the corner pleading with him, please let me stop the fight. And Buddy McGirt said it the best is that like I would much rather have my fighter mad at me for two or three days than for his whole family to regret me or hate me the rest of my life. He's like, and that this those are the spoken true words of wisdom from, or just no more truer words, you know from a professional a professional trainer of a, of a true athlete. And, uh, it's, it's, it truly is a sad day when people criticize these athletes for, you know, um, stopping the fight or not answering the bell or whatever it is, because every time they seem to lay it on the line, you know, and, uh, you know, money in this case obviously doesn't solve everything. So the, it doesn't matter how much money they made because, you know, they're not going home to their kids and their wife and their family and they'll never see them again on Christmas and those type of things. So when people make, when people boo or when they criticize other athletes, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. You know, especially when you see guys like, <clears throat> you know, uh, Diego Sanchez lay it all on the line every single time he's been out there and been fighting, uh, you know, I think pretty much almost as long as I had been fighting, you know, which is almost 20 years. And you have these guys that are fighting for this long. It's, 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 uh, you know that they give it their all every single time, so you don't want to see anything happen to them, you know. Um, I think that just about wraps it up, man. So I will talk. I will probably break this down a little bit more and try and talk a little bit more about it all <clears throat> uh, with uh, Big John McCarthy tomorrow night. So That's really crazy. Weighing in tomorrow night, Big John McCarthy. And what were we saying? Um, I gotta say thanks for thanks for inviting us out today because uh, we almost went to Gilroy. Garlic Festival. Oh, crazy, And that's freaking, there's 11 people shot. It's fucking nuts. 
Yeah, I got to read up on it. I, I just had some friends that were down there, and I had everyone text me like, hey, are you there? And I was like, if you guys haven't heard, the, the, Gilroy, the Gilroy Garlic Festival, there was a, um, a, sh a live shooter just running around. And still active as well. Still active, so. Uh, no one knows. I, I guess uh, some kids were killed, and uh, some people were, obviously, yeah, there's some others were shot. So I uh, didn't want to be a negative Nancy at the end of the podcast, but um, obviously I'm here in the Bay Area, which I'm only 20 minutes away from Gilroy, so. I have a lot of friends that actually worked the show and had their kids were working too, working the parking lots and working the concession stands. So, you know, just a little, little something that, uh, we, that uh, before this thing we just heard about. So but Dave and I are just communicating real quick. Um, Hey, want to wish you guys all the very best. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday night. Uh, hopefully we covered everything on that fight card and we will move on. Please follow us and hit the subscribe buttons on everything. iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, as well as YouTube. Please hit the little thumbs up button too on YouTube. That shares our videos to anyone else that watches MMA or talks fights or anything like that. Um, you know, and then the other uh, thing is, what is it called? You say it. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Josh Thompson official. Yep. Josh Thompson slash Josh Thompson official. We have the hot new get shirt. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, you guys, it's a it's a classic, you know, because I don't know what I said. I said hot nougat one day, and now all of a sudden it became famous all through uh, YouTube and Twitter. <laughs> so um, I have a hot nougat shirt with the Ryo on my head, plastered on it, which looks very cool. I actually really like it. I saw Dave wearing it today uh, at my house at the pool party. And then I have the SATP, the um, Sons of California. Pretty dope shirt, though. Um, and then we have our original T Sammy, the punk logo T, which is up as well. So those are our three t-shirts on pro wrestling com slash Josh Thompson official. So um, that's what we should have a punk's opinion and weighing in coming soon as well. Oh, that might be good. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Um, sounds good. I'm going to film again tomorrow night with big John McCarthy. We're going to talk, uh, probably the boxers and, uh, we'll talk some other stuff and, uh, go from there. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You're here with Josh Thompson, Punk's Opinion. Thank you, guys. And uh, hit the subscribe button. Bye.